Hey everybody, we are super pleased to announce our new sponsor, Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. The goal? Power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. And the best part? Marvel Strike Force just reached its six-year anniversary, which means free stuff when you sign up via our unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. Just complete each event, and you'll receive special awards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and every week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. If we have received a unique promo code for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL, M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Again, anybody uses that code, it is unique for all new users. Check it out. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast of board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. And this is episode 450, Board Game Mechanics Meeples. We like to thank all our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode. All right, friends, we're back. And this week, just like last week, we are talking about board game mechanics, the things that make all those little board games work. And, you know, every once in a while, they work a little differently. So when you pop open a game box and you see components that you know and love, you're like, oh, I know what this does. But guess what? There are some amazing board games out there that utilize the components in very innovative ways. So for our feature review this week, just like we did last week with Dice, we're taking on Meeples and seeing all the different forms they take and the different actions and abilities that they have. Anthony, you're pro-meeple, right? Yes. Yes, I'm okay. pro-meeple. I was worried there for a second. I thought you were going to go with a hot take there, but I'm, I'm glad you are pro-meeple. Nope. Nope. Last week was on the line. Dice yes, yes, yes. okay. Sometimes yeah. not. Uh, we will maybe in the future get to one of these mechanics episodes where I'm anti, but we haven't uh-huh. gotten there yet. Right well, now, I'm we're... glad. Very good. Very good. Yeah, I'm glad you didn't toss the dice, but the meeple here. The meeples, and again, meeples are my people, right? My people. I, I, someone says that, right? Some somebody says that, right? They, I'm positive you're right. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they now we know where they got it from, which was uh, back in the day. Carcassonne, I think, coined the term meeples, which again means my people, and has that iconic shape now of this uh, very stiff person with their arms straight out and their legs straight down, and it kind of looks like the letter A. Uh, which ironically we use for our logo and everything else. Yeah, right. <laughs> so yeah, we're all we're all down with the meeples, especially the letter A meeple. Uh, so yeah, 
that's going to be our feature review. So listen to us wax poetic about the greatness of meeples and all the little things that meeples do in the world. And hopefully maybe that inspires new designers to do even new and different things because components can get a little old. So this really, you know, brings them up to the next level. So, Anthony, with that said, uh, there's so much coming up and so much to do. Just a quick little mention about PAX Unplugged. That's a little convention we go to every year. Yes, sir. Yeah, it's in my backyard. It's coming up here in, what, like two weeks, three weeks? I don't know what time it is. I don't know where I am anymore. I think it's three weeks. Um, Anthony needs an adult. He needs an adult quick. I do. I keep asking, and there's nobody here. Yeah. Uh, no, so uh, PAX Unplugged coming up December 1st through the 3rd. We're going to be there, obviously. Uh, we didn't mention it last week because I think I just sent the emails out too, but we were able to give away passes to five lucky listeners and followers nice. who uh, participated in our contest. Uh, so thank you to PAX and all the people over there who gave those badges out to, to those lucky listeners. Hopefully we're running to you all there at PAX in the next couple, in, in a couple of weeks when we're there. Um, but yeah, it's the big uh, winter con. So I'm excited. Absolutely. It looks like a lot of fun. and. I, th- I think in particular, I'm really looking forward to this year more than others because I think we're getting a good selection of Essen games. And I've already seen some of the BGG Con stuff pop up as far as what's going to be there. So if what's going to be there is definitely going to be what's at PAX Unplugged and we're going to get some Essen love, I- I'm loving that. I-, I think that's a great combination across the board. So if you are not going, you should go because it's awesome. If you can't go, don't worry about it because we'll talk about it after it's over. Yeah, 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 you'll get the recap. Yeah, so it's usually a very good time. Philly's an amazing city. PAX Unplugged is a tremendous place to play games and all that kind of fun stuff. So we'll be talking about that more in a couple weeks. Not too long, but in a couple weeks nonetheless. So stick with us. And again, if you're going to be heading there and you want to just say hi and stuff like that, we would love that. That's awesome. We ran into some random people the last time and uh, made our day. So make our day by seeing you at PAX. Anthony. I'll be throwing together a kick in the habit this week uh, because things have been kicking over on all those crowdfunding sources. So if you are part of our Patreon account, and please do, because again, there's a lot of great content there and it does a lot to help support the podcast and get more great people to the table. Anthony, let's get to the episode. So let's talk about our acquisition disorders. All right. Acquisition disorder for me this week. Um, This is a new one from... I always say, I don't know if I'm saying it right or wrong, actually. Moai, Moideas game design? Moideas. Okay. I don't know. No idea. Uh, so <laughs> How do you say we that? Met, we met one of the owners at Gen Con. He was a lovely man, and I feel bad that I can't pronounce the name of the company correctly. Uh, unless I am, in which case, yay. Nailed it. <laughs> Heck yeah. Um, but I'm probably not, so uh, my apologies. Uh, so this is Cargo Empire. It's a new uh, game from Moideas. And uh, some of their previous games uh, are kind of have a similar feel to them. This kind of train-based, moving around, single-action game. And that's the main thing here that makes this stand out, is you take one action, but it can lead to a bunch of different things happening throughout the game. So it's one to five players, takes about an hour, which is great. Uh, Mini Express, which is one of my favorite games, has a similar kind of table presence and threshold to it. Um, and so in this one, you are picking up and moving various goods along this you know uh logistics route uh so if you like logistics if you like train games you like pick up and deliver this seems to kind of be in that ballpark um 
And the thing I like so much about Mini Express is that it is just the one action, but it's all about tactical decision making and doing the right thing at the right time based on what other people are doing and when they're doing it. Um, it really it epitomizes emergent complexity. And this game seems to be doing a lot of the same stuff. So when when you move cargo, if the city receives new cargo, you get to build a trading post, opens up your network further, you get to do more stuff. There's multiple modes of transportation that are available to you. So you have like trucks and trains and boats. Um, it it creates this kind of complex system out of like very simple baseline mechanics, which I always appreciate. Uh, there's nothing better than like a one hour game that feels like you just spent two to three hours really thinking heavily. So uh, Cargo Empire Essential Edition is forty dollars. Um, they also have a five player expansion, which whatever. Um, <laughs> nobody needs that. <laughs> and then the collector's box is, uh, I don't know, 60 bucks, I think. So it's like reasonable prices. And they've been generally known for that. Um, Mini Express, I think it was like a $40 game. And it feels like much more than that when you get everything in there. So there's other upgrades you can throw in. They've got metal coins and play mats and wooden inserts. Like if you're down for that kind of stuff. But if you just want the game, it's 40 bucks and it comes with all the stuff. So. Um, I'm, I'm on the fence here. I may pick this up just because of how much I like mini express. And, uh, I like that single action emergent complexity in a, in a solid board game, um, like strategy game like this. And, uh, this looks to be yet another one. So looking forward to it. Cargo Egg empire. It's on uh, Kickstarter now for like almost a month. It's up here forever. So you have lots of time to think about it. <laughs> Yeah, it's always nice to get one of those network delivery, you know, situations because honestly, it's one of the best types of mechanics slash themes and board games, pick up and deliver. Mm -hmm. um, you know, obviously networking, building and stuff like that obviously is top notch there too. So um, yeah, looks like fun. All right. Well, I'm going to take us way back uh, to a game that I've played. I'm not sure if you played it, Anthony. But I did. I, I did. I know okay. what you're talking about. I Make played this game. All right, you play. You, you're down with it. You're down. I, I. You know what? I'll let you talk. I didn't love it, but oh. I didn't hate it either. So. All right. <laughs> well, and I think that plays into this. So this is Kalamala. It's currently on Kickstarter. It's a remastered deluxe version of the Fabio Lupiano and artwork by Ian O'Toole. And again, anytime Ian O'Toole, like, oh, they did it right. I, I think that should be his middle name, Ian. Yeah, they did it right, O'Toole. <laughs> So, uh, Kalamala is a game that we've talked about and reviewed quite some time. Anthony, I'll let you look up what episode that it particularly was, or multiple episodes that was. But this was a game that, it came in a relatively small, you know, Euro box. It's one of those kind of rectangle boxes. Very unassuming. And the, the game board itself, again, is your traditional Euro game. There's nothing, nothing radically different about it. But the actions in the game were fun and innovative in a way because particularly what you were doing was you were trying to gain area controls in a variety of different areas mechanically, right? And I say mechanically because while the game does have a theme, it really doesn't have a theme, right? Like it's, it's more about the mechanics there. Now, the really interesting mechanic is you are laying, you're putting tiles in this kind of interesting small section of the board. And as you put the tiles on the board, they stack. And when you place a tile down, it lets you do the adjacent actions 
across from that tile. So you're not just getting one action, you're getting two actions. And again, because the actions are scattered on the board, there's a number of different combinations that you could activate. And that's a lot of fun because you're not just doing one thing, you're doing two things. And again, maybe you want this and this. Well, you can go to a certain spot and do that. Here's the thing. Eventually, those stacks get so high that if you play that action and do the two actions, it's going to kick the bottom person off the stack and move them over to the scoring area, activating the scoring area. Again, one of the fun things about the game itself is what scores in the game is out there and available to see as the game goes on. So you know exactly from the very start, okay, these areas are scoring, these areas are somewhat similar, this area is challenging. And then as everyone's jockeying for position, and again, simple majority on the board, you know what you need to do to kind of like hit that particular spot as hard as possible, whether it's early or build towards it for late. And just that kind of mechanic of taking two actions at once, but being cautious about not letting someone be on that bottom of the stack that you're triggering, because again, it's going to trigger an area. And if you don't have majority in the area, damn, that was a stupid thing to do. Unless you're going to sacrifice that area because you feel like other areas you're going to be able to score down the road. I, there's just something very fun, quaint about that. Like it's just, it just, it's not difficult to kind of like comprehend. Uh, and yet, at the same time, because everyone gets to see it, there's there's a lot of competition. So for Euro games, at least, where Euro games, I guess back in the day, Euro games have somewhat been like very solitaire because of the way they things stack. There's competition interaction. The majority is competition, interaction, and then the scoring throughout is competition and interaction. So when this came up on Kickstarter, I was like, this is amazing. I love Ian O'Toole, and I also own this game. Not again, please, dear God, not again. Because I, I, I really love this game. And it's, I think, if I remember correctly, I'm sure I gave it a buy. But it's not like the best thing that's ever happened to Euros. Or like even in the top 10 things that happened to Euros. Like it's a good game. I don't think this has even made my top 100. Like it's probably in like the top 150 somewhere. 100 to 150. So it's good. I'll play it. I'll play it any time. It probably gets, I'll have to check my board game geek ratings. Maybe it gets an 8. I could, It feels like an 8. Now the artwork, the upgrade components, always very nice. Always very nice to see. Always very nice to play. Again. With our industry be having like a six-month turnover, where like a game is only relevant for six months, this brings the game back to the table, whereas my not-that-very-old game of Galabala probably wouldn't do that, but this new version with the Ian O'Toole artwork and this magnificent... I, I, I don't know what it is. It's, it's kind of like a dragon slash bird of prey on a castle. I mean, again... It looks amazing. The components look amazing. The artwork looks amazing. It's Eon Tool. He's amazing. I've never met the man, but I'm sure he is. And obviously you get expansions and such things like that. Uh, retail version. Uh, you can pick it up. Again, not very crazy. 47 bucks, which is awesome and affordable, surprisingly enough. But no one comes to Kickstarter for the retail edition. No, Everyone comes with the deluxe edition. Silly rabbit. That's $58, which is also not bad. I have to say it's not bad. But again, 
Nobody comes here for that. They come for the collector's edition, which is $85. And now, there we go. (laughs) That's where we live, brother. We live in there. (laughs) Because you're paying for shipping. So why why are you shipping a retail version? Buy it later if it's a retail version. They come for the collector's (laughs) edition because you want the neoprene uh, mat and the custom printed sleeves. I don't know why you want those, but again... I don't know why you would be here if you weren't here for those things. So it's a thing. I don't know. You, Anthony, we, we reviewed this, right? Yeah, lo- long time ago, 2017, episode wow. 151. Um, and yeah, I, I don't remember exactly what you said, but I'm pretty sure you liked it a lot. And that's like, I went and found a copy and for that exact reason. And I played it and I was like, oh, this is fine. <laughs> oh my God. And the thing is, is I don't, dislike the game like i said i thought it was fine i held on to it for a while eventually i sold it but there are other lopiano games i like better um there's another lopiano game with Ian O'Toole artwork that i like better mm. uh, merv which came out in 2020 so this one it just felt i don't remember exactly what my issue was with it it just felt kind of like anticlimactic in a way that his games uh, his other games don't to me mm. um like a lot of short Euros end up feeling anticlimactic, and he has found a way to make them where they don't. Like Ragusa, Merv, a lot of these games, they really work. And this one just, it didn't click for me at the time. So I'm not interested in this, but if you back it, I'll play it again and see what I think now. <laughs> so. What's what's funny is, and I, I did give it an 8 as far as board game geek ratings are concerned, which is high for me. Yeah. This is my favorite out of all of his games. Hmm. You know, Zapotec didn't do anything for me whatsoever. Ragusa didn't do anything for me. Merv was is okay. It's one of his better games, but Kalamala was always the best of what he's put out there. So I haven't played Three Ring Circus yet, which came out I think at Gen Con. Yeah, and I know he has a couple a couple things coming up, but as his game stand, that was my favorite. I, I think the Merv production is is incredible, gorgeous. Um, Kalamala again was my favorite, but I think his games always felt to me to be, again, like, I don't know, scope scale wise, small. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It just felt small. Like it's good, but it always felt like small, like as far as the Euro is concerned. I think that's intentional though. I I think that's why I generally like his games is because occasionally I want a small Euro where I only get 10 actions and I need to be really economical with them. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Yeah, this is my favorite, like I said, because of the unique, you want to take two actions and you want to take the two actions you want to take. But again, as you stack, you give other people opportunities to do different things and score. And so that comes into consideration. And the fact that it's an area control game is fun for me, especially when you get to see everything laid out. If you spend a minute looking at how things score and when they score, you can kind of make a strategic plan as far as what you're going to do throughout the game and then roll with that, obviously make tactical changes if you need to, but everyone kind of makes that based upon that kind of layout. And I think that's a lot of fun because again, a lot of euros don't have that kind of interaction, especially way back when. So uh, yeah, you could listen to my full review then I still like and love it. I don't know if I'll back it because I own it again. This is one of the general quandaries of Kickstarter in this day and age, which is like, Hey, you know that game you like? Yes, we made it again. Like, damn it. So <laughs> we're at two times. I haven't, I ha- I've bought games twice. I haven't bought games three times yet. Not yet. Two times has been the max so far, but it's I don't coming, know. man. 
Have you five more years. Game? Have you bought a game, Anthony, three times? The same game three times? Yeah, you know I have. Oh, I know you have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, Castle of the Burgundy, I own three copies of at I the think, moment. I, I gotta get rid of at least one of them. Um, <laughs> I was just saying this on the recent Kickstarter, like the Patreon premium episode, when I'm going through my top 100. And I'm going to keep one of those extra copies because the new box is so stupidly big that I can't carry it anywhere. Um, I don't need two extra copies, but I will keep one of them. Are we doing an episode on stupidly big copies of games that we can't bring to game nights? Oh, I got like 20 already. Yeah, we can do that. (laughs) They're so amazing. They'll never leave the house. They're incredible. Never leave the house. Did you see the miniatures? Never going to leave the house. So, yeah. Yeah, no. Is anybody coming to my house? No. Okay, well, then I should get rid of these games. (laughs) Jeez. That's terribly sad. All right. Well, that's our acquisition to the source for this week. Now, on to the games hit our table. We'll let you know if those games are by. You should round pick those games up. Those games are play, and you sit down and play them. Those games are dodge, and you should avoid them. Or, in fact, if those games are the dread burn, I don't know. Sometimes you own multiple copies of a bad game. Toss them out, because reasons. Anthony, I got two games to the table this week. On the lighter side, stuff that I think, at least one of the games I've previously played, I don't know if you've played both of them, uh, but again, new people at the table, new games hitting the table, for them, not for me. I'm like, oh! I know those games. I haven't played a game that I used to play in, like, forever. So here are some games that I played forever ago. And again, if we played them, if we reviewed them, which I know we did one in particular, Anthony will find the episode so you get a a deeper (laughs) dive and see if uh, Chris has changed his mind or anything. The first game that I want to talk about is a game that I don't believe I've played before. And it was funny because when the games came out to the table, I'm like, a mile away, I was like, oh, man, those are those are Shem Phillip games. I just know those are Shem Phillip games. And they're like, how'd you know? I'm like, uh, the artwork. Uh, he's not the artist, but the artwork is just consistent throughout. I, I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm absolutely sure I've played that game. I don't think I've played that game. That game is Raiders of the North Sea from 2015. Raiders of the North Sea is yet another one in game in like Shem Phillips really long line out of like uh Raiders of North Sea, Shipwrights, uh, Explorers, Architects, Paladins, uh Viscounts, uh Ra- Raiders. So it's like they're all kind of the same kind of work replacement game, but they all do something different. But they feel like they're all they're obviously all one of, you know, same kind of family. And they're just like they're everywhere. Like they they've been on Kickstarter they all, and again, they blend. They blend for me. So when I saw this, I was like, I played this. And then when I played it, I was like, I don't think I've played this. This one is all about pillaging, folks. <laughs> so you're a Viking. It's the Viking Age. And you're trying to impress your chieftain because the chieftain's the best. But you're going to do that by raiding unsuspecting settlements. I, okay. <laughs> Seems like a toxic relationship to me. But nonetheless, that's the game. So. In order to do so, you need to assemble a crew, which in this in this case, you are going to be taking cards. You start with a couple of cards in hand. The cards are your crew. Uh, and I'll talk a little bit about the actions in a second, but basically you'll be building up a tableau of Vikings. They'll have special abilities, of course, and they'll have a particular strength, but along with that, they have a cost as far as what you need to pay to get them out. So you'll build up your crew. You'll go out to your, like, town, village kind of area to get provisions and stuff. And again, I'll talk more about that in a second. And then you'll go north. 
Uh, you'll plunder gold, livestock, iron, all that kind of fun stuff, and you'll also be able to get glory points, which is just victory points in this game. In addition to all that fun, things might happen that are bad because, you know, you're pillaging, you're doing bad things, and every once in a while you get knocked out. So if you see a Valkyrie symbol at the particular place where you're, you know, fighting and pillaging, you're going to lose one of your people uh, to Valhalla, but you score points for it. So it's not so bad. And then there's a general armor that makes, general armor level that makes your massive amounts of Vikings, total of five, uh, even stronger. So you need a certain strength when you attack particular areas. And again, I'll talk more about that in a second. But the game is very small, it's very simple, and it's very fast. And I was very surprised because typically his games are more involved than they really need to be as far as the game weight's concerned. But Anthony, have you played this game first off? I have not, actually. I, I only came to Shem Phillips' games with uh, Architects, and okay. I played that the whole Architect trilogy, or the West Kingdom trilogy, but I yes. did not play any of the North Sea stuff at all. Okay. I played so many of these. <laughs> Wait, but again, <laughs> I don't think I haven't played this one. I don't think so. So basically, you get a single worker. We're talking about meeples, right? You get a single we- meeple, and to start the game out, you, you're going to go to the village area, and when you place your meeple, again, certain areas need certain color meeples. So you start with a black meeple, then there's a gray, which is a, a higher level, and then there's white, which is the highest level, and they can only go certain places. So black, white, and gray can only go certain places. Not too difficult. When you go to a certain area, you get typically resources, or you get cards, which then obviously are Vikings, so you can put into play. That's it. That you, that's all you need to know about the village. Super simple. All the all the kind of like resources and trades are on the board. The graphic design is right there in your face. Great. Now here's the here's the twist, Anthony. You place your meeple, you think that's it. But you get to pull a meeple off that's already on the board that allows you to also be able to get that action where that meeple was standing. So you might place a meeple at the mill and get a provision. But then you might also pull a meeple off the armory, which allows you to trade an iron for armor. Seems it's, So basically, throughout the game, no one's blocking you, right? Maybe, maybe you don't want to do the exact number of actions, but you can always place in an open spot, and you can always pull a meeple off a spot that's taken, and only one meeple per spot. So you never have to worry about not getting what you want, but every once in a while, you want two certain things, but they're blocked, so you can only pull off one. So that felt very nice. I was like, oh, I like this. It's engaging. It's fun. No one's, you know, you're not really blocking anybody. There's nothing negative about it. Now, once you get, once you get enough resources to go out to sea, the different areas on the board from the harbor areas all the way up to the fortresses get more difficult, which means you need more Vikings. You need more provisions, and you need typically gold to be able to go to those areas. When you get to that area, you turn in those resources. You get the different resources that are randomly put out there on the board, and once they're taken, they're gone for the rest of the game. And then you, in case case of the higher ones up the board, you have to meet a certain military level to get victory points, and the higher the military level, the more victory points are possible. And you also get to roll a die or two dice to see, to kind of bolster up your forces and again you may not meet the numbers as you as you do the 
as same thing as this as the town village area as you do the um all the raiding you'll get the gray meeples and the white meeples along with the resources so it, it opens up new things the game basically ends when all those areas are cleared cards are gone the uh special red tiles are gone so like there's a couple of different ways the game comes to an end but it's a victory point game and again Having a certain level of, of military armor class benefits you with the attacking, but also can serve victory points. Sending your workers to Valhalla, slash Viking warriors to Valhalla, um, also gains you victory points. And then, obviously, you gain victory points by going to certain big point areas and getting the right number of military in order to get victory points. And again, red tiles on the bottom of the board score victory points. It is really not a complicated game. You look at the spots that are available. You get the resources you need to get there. You go there. Hopefully you get there first. You do the thing. You get the points. And you go back. Watch, rinse, repeat. It's a relatively short game throughout. Um, the artwork, again, is great. It's it's just really cool kind of like realistic cartoony artwork. You've seen it before. Um, very vibrant. Very fun. There are some hero cards which give you super special abilities. So there is some chance on... What cards are you drawing or what cards you get to start the game? Raiders of the North Sea, uh, 2015. Now I got to play it, and it's good. I'll give it a play. Great. Yeah, I think every one of his games I've played also gets a play for me. I don't yes. think any of them were a buy, even though I own like five of them. Um, <laughs> they're small. They're Again, they fall in that like hour to hour and a half, yeah. decent, chunky. Not chunky, but like enough of a euro. Um so this is just one that had never hit the table, and I never felt like buying. So that's why I haven't played it, but I'm sure I'd like it too. Yeah, I think I've played again. Think, you know, fingers crossed because I feel like I've played most of that kind of West Kingdom, North Sea kind of. Mm. I haven't played the South Tigris areas, but I North Sea and and West Kingdom. Yes, I feel like they're all good. Like you said, they're all plays. I feel like yeah. people love them. Like people who love them just. People love them. And right. I'm just like, all right. <laughs> I'm like, they're fine. It's good. Fine. Yeah. I think yeah. I think you and I might skew a little heavier than the, sure. the demographic for these games. Um, uh, I will say, though, that like his most recent stuff is getting increasingly slightly more complex. Yes. So we might be like three or four years away from him dropping like a Lacerda level Euro on us. Like just being like, all right, four hours, go. Yeah. Because <laughs> it keeps getting a little heavier. They do. And again, like I said, I like the... Drop your meeple, pick your meeple up, double action, and then the rest of the game is just like doing that enough times that you can be able to go and pillage. So it, like you said, it's not even it's not even weight or complexity. It's just that's all you're doing, right? right. Like you're going to the village, getting resources. Do you have enough resources? All right, go plunder. Did you plunder? Right. Yep. Yeah, you probably need more resources. Okay, come back. Right. And <laughs> I mean, I want you know like. I won the game, but I was like, all right, that was fine. Yeah, it wasn't bad. There wasn't a bad taste in my mouth, so to speak. But, like, I don't know. I wanted something. I wanted a little more. Like, there should have been another thing. Uh, I don't know. So, yeah, pretty decent. Anthony, you definitely played this game because I remember you and I playing the prototype way back when. <laughs> like, yep. uh, this is Evolution, the original evolution none of the fancy kind of expansions not the climate not the nature not the oceans none of that kind of stuff we're going old school someone brought an old school copy of evolution and they were like i don't know how to play this i'm like you know what i do and they're like did you like it and i'm like 
We didn't because we, we played the first, you know, prototype version and then we did and then it was okay. And then like there was expansions and then it was like, and it kind of blew up. It, it blew up in like 15 different ways. There was like a lot of different versions of this. Evolution. What can I say about evolution? Evolution is all about the evolution of your prehistoric animal species. You get a small rectangle board. Uh, it has openings where you place cubes. One cube area uh, defines your population. One defines your body size. And then throughout the game, you're getting traits, special abilities that your that particular species utilizes in order to get food. This game is nothing but getting food. So yes, you get three cards, that's three points at the end of the game. As your population moves up, that's points in the game, but the vast majority of points is the food that you collect throughout the game. So those traits will help you gain more food and or protect you from predators and or become a predator. So carnivore card is like the iconic card of evolution. So you have to decide if you're going to go carnivore and then attack the other players. <laughs> so it is, again, another one of these games, I think, Anthony, like you were mentioning uh, about Raiders, that fits into that Euro... It, it's not a gateway game. I know they try to pass it off as that. It's not a gateway game. It's it's a gamer's gateway game, so to speak. Like, if you're, if you're a gamer... Yeah. Yeah, I feel like these games are... I like to think of them as the heaviest games that most people will ever play. Sure. Right? Non-game, like, outside of our space. This is, like top shelf target stuff yes like and that's not meant to be derogatory at all that's just like if you went home for thanksgiving which many of you will be doing and you wanted to bring a game to the table that everybody would be willing to play but maybe it's on the higher end it's going to be a game like one of these absolutely and i, and I think it's a really good point because i again there's a there's another episode there anthony as far as like like you said the top heavy games or the heaviest or the more most complex games that like the average big box store person might pick up. So this one really boils down to trying to run your population up as, as fast as possible. So you can eat as much food. So population allows you to eat food. But again, depending on the start of the game, which is at the beginning of the game, you get cards, you decide what becomes traits, what you trade in to become population and body size. And what one card will go to the watering hole that it will put food in there, at least plant food. So everyone puts plant food in, and then you'll see how much plant food comes out. And then each each round, in turn order, you will take one food, again, based upon your traits, that could actually be a lot more. And then eventually the food runs out. And if you can't feed your total population, you lose a couple of spots of population. It's not tragic, but it happens. And then obviously the carnivore gets to attack other herbivores that do not have as high equal or higher I'm sorry a carnivore can eat an herbivore if it's less than its own body size so if carnivore is bigger it could eat you so be careful so it gains food that way uh yeah the carnivore was kind of underpowered in evolution still tends to be it's one of those games where you have a euro game that actually has a lot of interactive play if people go carnivore and you can swap in and out of Carnivore throughout the game. It takes time and effort and takes cards, but it can happen. I've played this game a lot over the years. i played a lot of different versions. The base game is not my favorite version. It's just, it's fine. 
it's just not my favorite. Uh, Evolution Climate is my favorite version of this because, again, global effects, no pun intended. Uh, this one is fine. It's it, it still gets a play, but it is a very forgettable play beyond the reason that it has a giant wooden dinosaur in it where everything like, else yeah. is like cheap cardboard and paper. I love it. It's like half the cost of the game. Yes, it is. So I was like, why is this dinosaur here? People are asking the table. I'm like, it's the first player mark. And they're like, but why? Everything else <laughs> is like relatively cheap and inexpensive. And then, then giant dinosaur. I'm like, yes, because giant dinosaur, of course. Heck yeah. 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 It's funny. This game has been around forever. And it's, I remember when this first came out, they were talking about it. Like, this is going to be a million dollar game for us. Yeah. And we're like, really? This game? They were right. They, you know, if, if you put focus and marketing into a thing and know what you're doing, you can turn a lot of things into a million dollar ideas. So, um, I think our first review of this, the, the prototype was like episode 28. Whoa. It looks like. So year one, uh, and then our full review, once we got a full copy of the game, uh, about a year later was episode 75. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And again, it's, it's a good basic gamer game. And then when you play it, you could just play herbivores and be safe and just protect yourself. And or eventually you will say, curse your sudden but inevitable. Inventable. <laughs> I can't even say anymore. Um, inevitable betrayal because eventually someone goes carnivore and starts eating your friends because that's that's a, that's a thing that happens for some yeah, reason. It's like a it's like a social press your luck game. It Someone's is. gonna do it. Someone up. Oh, someone did it. Yeah. Someone eventually pulls the trigger and then it either works or doesn't work. At our game, it didn't work because the person pulled the trigger too late and everyone was like pretty big. So it was really hard for them to like attack because everyone went defense. So, and in that case, the game isn't as good. And I think that the later expansions make it much better, like Flight. And there's other expansions where like the carnivores have more of a chance because otherwise, like, you just can't do anything. So, right. Other than annoy other people at the table because you're eating them. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. <laughs> All right. So that's our at the tables this week. Anthony, let's get on to the feature review. So again, our feature review this week is talking about the latest and greatest, but this time game mechanics and specifically game mechanics that utilize meeples in interesting and fun ways. You've seen meeples? You have meeples. They're in a lot of games. Man, it'd be nice if someone did something different than just placed a meeple. Anthony, do we have any of those games that do more than just place a meeple? Uh, yes, of course. Um, although there are a few of those in here, so just... Fair warning for anybody who's like, you said that wasn't what you were doing. Like, no, we're doing all of them. It's this uh, and. <laughs> yeah, this and, right? <laughs> so we have 15 different board game mechanics that involve meeples. Uh, there's a lot of creative, clever, unique ways that this particular funny, goofy looking little wooden dude has been used over the last 20, 30 years or so. And we're going to run through 15 of them. Are we ready? We're ready. All right. First up, we have. Meeples that travel. This is the Voyages of Marco Polo, which you might recognize as being on our list last week for dice workers, uh, and that's because the Voyages of Marco Polo uses a bunch of mechanics. So they might be on the list again in the future. Who knows? Uh, but in this case, you have meeples that are moving across the map, representing different locations, and those locations will give you bonuses if you're the first one there. They give you income if you place a house there. They also give you places where you can, in the future, place your dice workers. 
And you're trying to complete different routes by visiting different cities along the map. It's very difficult to travel. And so those meeples are very important. You'll spend a lot of time staring at them, hoping that they move where you want them to move. You only have one, unless you have the special power that gives you two. Um, but it's a very important meeple. And it moves around on that map a fair bit. Yeah, no, very nice. And, and again, a very good place to start because a lot of games where you think about like the later deluxe versions of games, how often are you going to touch that piece that it needs to be a deluxe piece? That game, especially, there's a lot of movement with the Meeple. Yeah, yeah, it's a funny thing. Like if they ever made a deluxe Voyages of Marco Polo, which it's so weird that they haven't. It I is weird. It two, would make a lot of money. I mean, they made two versions of the same game. <laughs> I know. And there's an expansion there that's been out of print for a million years. People oh, would yeah. pay good money. Like like Ultimate Railroad stupid money for this. Oh, but, no, don't, don't say that. <laughs> I know. Well, I already have the expansion, so I can say it. Oh, no, people who don't. <laughs> yeah. um, all right, so moving on to the next one, we have one of the more common ones, Meeples as Workers. Um, there's like a thousand games we could throw here because... A lot of worker placement games use meeples. Yes. Um, the one that I've chosen because I made the list this week is Russian Railroads or Ultimate Railroads because you have your little collection of meeples and they go onto the map and they give you various goods. Simple <laughs> as that, right? It's it's one of those simple, basic approaches to worker placement. The things that make the game great kind of come after the worker placement component, after you get your stuff, building up your own personal tableau. But the worker placement is very straightforward. There are a limited number of spaces. You place your meeple, you get the thing. That's it. Uh, and there are, again, like a thousand games that do this. But it's one of my favorites. I, I will add two things to that. First off is in the game, one of the spots is to get two additional workers. Yes. And that is, again, in the base game of Russian Railroads, not all the additional expansions and such, the base game Almost always, not always, but almost always, there's always a best first, second, third action. And getting those two meeples is always, I think, like number three, right? It's like engineer, money, which is anything, and then yep. meeples. So that double meeple thing is huge. And I will also say, because these these have like very, very like important spots, when someone places somewhere, it's murder. Like you're just yes. like you just like it's it you it's you want to flip the board because that meeple just mocks you like it got there so yeah that's very very painful <laughs> it's a painful yes. work replacement game it's not like oh then i will do less of a thing i was like no you will do nothing of a thing and you will like it and you're like oh geez <laughs> <laughs> yeah and that that's what a lot of these are right like there's there's really like two versions of work replacement there's that and then there's the next one on our list meeples as workers in groups oh no <laughs> yes. Uh, so this is like a feast for Odin, which I know you're not a huge fan of, but it does this really interesting mechanic where there are different columns on the board and the number of meeples you place yes. will determine what action you can take. And yep. the more you place, the more powerful the action. Yep. And if you place three or four, you are drawing or playing cards, which is even more powerful. But then you have less actions. Um, it's it's the basic mechanic that Uwe Rosenberg is among those who has developed a lot. But it adds that layer of like kind of elevating action uh, economy. Um, you also get new workers every round, which is another common enough action. But there's so many rounds in this game that eventually you end up with like 11 workers. So I have a question for you here, because 
we've talked about meeples, right? Meeples, the singular. Meeples, the plural. Now, at, at Feast for Odin uses a group of meeples to activate a spot. A group. What is yes. a group of meeples? Now, Ooh. yeah, so it's not a pot of whales, right? What 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 is it? What what is there even a term out there for it? I don't I don't think there is. There should be, and we need to coin it quickly. Yes, I know. Before someone else takes it from us. Yes, and then we'll say trademark really fast three times and spin our chairs in a circle, and spit, <laughs> and then we'll own that trademark. So yes, we've done it. I think that might be a it's, question of the week. That might be a thing. There we go. Yeah, we'll we'll throw it to the to the listeners. What is the group of meeples called? Yeah, a murder of crows. I mean, there's a lot of fun ones out there. Yeah. So, yeah, what what is a group of meeples? Mm, I like it. I like it. All right. Uh, so we'll come back to that next week. Aww. It's on all of you to figure out. I know. I know. Um, <laughs> What's a group of listeners? I don't know. That's another thing to think about. An audience, I hope. A gang? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> a gang. A gang of listeners. All right. Moving on to the next one. We got have, workers. Wait, wait. Have you missed it? Made our listeners? They're a gang, brother. They're a gang. We're They're a, gang. a gang. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the Crips, the Bruds, the Latin Kings, <laughs> the PGAers. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You're going to get someone hurt, man. That's <laughs> all right. We're all down. Um, yeah. Yeah, we're all down. It's all good. Um, all right. Workers as battle pieces. This is appropriate. Talking about gangs. Why not? Uh, El Grande. So uh-huh. we got a new version of El Grande that's apparently throwing meeples in there. Yeah, so El Grande, again, in BGG's top 100 games of all time, one of arguably one of the best games of all time. Wolfgang Kramer, uh, just a brilliant, beautiful area control game from way back in the day, uh, 1995. And then it got reprinted, which was unheard of back in the day that it got reprinted. Like, legitimately, no one thought that was getting reprinted. I did. That's on an episode somewhere. Uh, Drew was like, never. And I was like, it is. And I'll like, I'll bet you. And I was right. And he never paid off on that bet. Just saying. If you find him, say you owe Chris. That's and then get a get a group of uh listeners together, which is also called a gang, and take that brother down. But in the meantime, when you play the game, because it's an area control game and you're trying to control that area, what's really important and powerful about that is you have an opportunity to Actually put your caballeros, your little meeples, you know, to control particular areas. And and it's this really tall, cool cardboard castillo where it's like you're basically secretly hidden, kind of pounding in. It used to be cubes. Now it's meeples. You're putting meeples into this long, hidden kind of structure. And everyone's putting meeples in there. And then eventually at some point based on the game, they pop out and that gives you additional like influence on those particular areas. So, the hidden gang of meeples, or hidden, I don't know, we don't have a group name yet, pops out, radically changes the game, and is a lot of fun. So, yeah. That's the thing that happened. It went from cubes to meeples, and it plays a lot better, because now you have cubes like flying through the air and <laughs> landing on the board. Love it. Love it. I gotta play that. Up. Uh, all right. Next up, we have one of the best upgrades of all time for any game, Animeeples. So, if 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 you remember back in the day in the Dark Ages, before Animeeples, there were cubes in Agricola, and we all wondered what would this cube look like if it was in the shape of a sheep. 
Yep, I think that that was a thing, because, again, back in the day, there was cubes, there was discs, and that's all there was, and we liked it. Yes, yes. So we had um, we had a major upgrade, and now all the games just come with Animeeples. All of Rosenberg's games are Animeeple-friendly. We're spoiled. Um, <laughs> and they, you know what? This is borderline not a mechanic, because what do they actually do? They just replace the cubes. But in our minds, thematically, this is much more than than just a cube it is it represents everything that we're doing and you know color and space and shape and it's it makes it quicker and easier to see what's going on on the board yeah i think that's the key thing for you play agricola there is so much heavy complex thought that goes into play a lot of cognitive load and by having the animeeples out there it's not just a sense of like oh uh those are cute it's like no i can read the board so much easier so much quicker and again if you've never played Grigola before, uh, it's, you know, it's misery farming. So if you don't have enough of everything, you pay for it. So seeing cows and every other animal out there benefits you greatly. So, yes, animeeples are, actually help a lot with that cognitive load. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, like, a natural kind of carry on from that is the dino meeples Ooh. that we see in Dinosaur Island and Dinosaur World. Uh <laughs> Which do even less, honestly, mechanically, but they're really cool. Yeah. And again, they match up once again with the particular outcomes that you're trying to reach based on like certain dinosaurs do certain things as far as like threat is concerned or victory points are concerned. So you must have that particular type. So yes, it is playing with really cool, fun little meeples out there, but it's also very, again, type driven. So cognitive load is kind of dropped a little bit and that's a lot more fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all right, next up on the list, we have uh, a pair of very interesting ones. What First up, we have Dexterity Meeples, Ooh. where we're literally stacking those meeples. <laughs> uh, Meeple Circus. Meeple Circus is great, because Meeple Circus is all about trying to match these different designs in order to, like, designs, but, like, like performances, I should say, but it's it's technically, it's, it's kind of designs. Like, you're trying to line up the meeples in a particular way as far as like, I don't know, there's a clown and then there's a seal on top of the clown and there's a ball and there's a plank and there's another acrobat. So yeah, what can you accomplish with those building meeples in order to make a uh, maintain a strong structure? So we talked about a lot of other games last week where dice were the structural components. Here it's meeples, which is like, oh, that's pretty cool, but they also have to balance, which is a dexterity element that Seems simple, but really is not. Yeah, no, my gosh. I remember playing this game at uh, PAX um, five years ago now at this point, and I was terrible at it. Remember the uh, music? That's... <laughs> Plays the music at the list. Oh my gosh, yeah, with the app. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, was, it was a fun experience, but I, I did terribly. Terribly. Aw. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's dexterity, man. I always do terribly. Um, here's another one that I did terribly at that my son beat me at when he was five or six years old uh meeples as building blocks terror in meeple city so oh. we got a little bit of dexterity going on here but the meeples in particular are holding up the layers of those buildings as you throw things at the city yeah this again was another really fun mechanic because again you're all these kaiju giant monsters out there and you have different ways of destroying buildings that are going to score you points but the points are the meeples that fall from the buildings. But instead of just like making buildings and throwing meeples inside, 
the meeples are that kind of structure that's all important, right? Those load-bearing meeples. I guess load-bearing meeples should be the, the category there. Uh, again, a lot of fun. Just a lot of fun. Craziness. All right, next up on the list, we've got colors in meeples. Uh, colors! So sometimes <laughs> the color of the meeple matters, <gasps> as is the case in Keyflower. Yes, Keyflower is a really interesting game. If you've never played Keyflower before, or you're just getting to Euro games, and someone says, hey, you want to play Keyflower? You're like, cool, what, what is it like? And you're like, oh, meeples. You're like, oh, I love meeples. Those are fun and interesting. This game will kill your love of meeples. <laughs> so the meeples here are called Keeples. So K-E-Y, because everything, 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 everything about the Keyflower games has to be key-based. So that's the thing. <laughs> so I don't know. Uh, so again. Depend now. What you're doing is you are, you are a, you are being able to, throughout the game. Let me put this way: throughout the game, it's hard to explain in a very short amount of time. But the meep, you build a board, you build a little tableau of different hexes that become your particular areas. Everyone does that on their own, but you can place your meeples on any board you want. And when you place the meeples on that particular hex. It's, you are, like, technically, in a way, you're bidding for that particular hex. So if I place one red meeple out there, and Anthony wants to go there, he's got to put two red meeples out there. So the color determines what actually happens in that particular area. So you're bidding to be able to successfully build in that particular area. Now, the color rule is really important throughout. And again, you're like, oh, so... I could deal with that. So one plus two or three or four or six, whatever it happens to be, there's a wild color that comes into play that everyone scraps for throughout the game. And that's essentially kind of like once, if you're able to get that tile and you're able to get those meeples from the tile, then you'll be able to like lock down a particular tile. So color matters a lot in uh Keyflower. Yeah, that's, that's it's such a weird way to think of it, but of course it makes sense. Like you take one mechanic, you combine it with another, and it, it's just gonna flow smoothly from there. Although it is funny that yeah, you kind of walk away with <laughs> a different feeling in meeples afterwards. A hundred percent. And also one thing to know is if you're placing meeples on other people's hexes, at the end of the round, they they're able to take your meeples as their own. Ooh, so mean. So you want to build up a really cool tableau in order to track meeples to your area. But also, it, it does lock down your area. So, again, there's a review for the day. We've already reviewed Keyflower. It's great. It's a good game. Yeah. All right. Uh, next up, we have Supersize Meeples, or Grande Meeples. What? Uh, Viticulture is one of the uh, highly respected worker placement games. We talked about uh, Russian Railroads before. This is another one that's like very popular that people would think of. A little more accessible. Kind of in that ballpark of, like, we talked about higher end of complexity for a, a general audience. Mm -hmm. um, but one of the things interesting about Viticulture that some other games have now copied is you get a Grande Worker, super-sized meeple. You get one mm -hmm. of them, and this Grande Worker is similar to your regular workers, but it can go on a location that's fully occupied on the board already. So it gives you a chance to kind of break the rules of regular worker placement where, oh, I can't go to any of these spaces. They're all stopped up. Well, I got my Grande Worker, so I can. I know I can always do at least one thing I need to do. Uh, it's an interesting mechanic. It, Viticulture plays with it a little bit. There's like the Mama and the Papa's cards that kind of sometimes change what when you get them or how you get them. 
There's different levels of complexity in the different versions. But at the end of the day, it's basically a super meeple that gets to ignore some of the placement rules, which adds a lot to the, all, most of the games that it's in. Yeah, no, a lot of fun. And again, another one of those games where when the meeples drop and take an area, they take the area. Because that's just, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. <laughs> uh, next up, we have multi-use meeples. This is the classic, the the game that coined the name uh, Carcassonne. So in Carcassonne, a meeple can be many different things. It can be, mm -hmm. you know, knights wandering the fields. It could be farmers. It could be all these different possible things that you're placing out there. It depends on which version or expansions you're playing. Yeah. With. But how you place it, the or what type of uh, terrain you place it on will determine what the meeple is and what it represents. Yeah, again, one of those things about interesting about meeples is obviously they look like people. So typically when you place a meeple, if you're not a monster, you, you stand them up. But in Carcassonne, if they lay down in the field, they're a farmer. If they're on a road, they're a robber. <laughs> they're, in this, right. they're in a castle, they're they're a knight. So like, I don't know. I guess it depends on where you're born in the world. That determines a lot of things. But again, that's a philosophical question that will come to next week. Uh, that's we don't have time for that. <laughs> so, but is, there, let's 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 just put it like wherever you're born, that's a thing, and it happens, and so forth, and privilege, and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, no, it's fun because again, you have to be ensure that your meeple is placed properly throughout the game because you could confuse a lot of people if they're not. So, and again, I think the meeple, the farmer laying down in the field, is so iconic, like an iconic image. And, and probably one of the most iconic images as far as meeples are concerned, because like, yeah, he's laying out in the field. He's been working the field all day. And here he is with his arms stretched out and his feet stretched out. It's really the only time that I actually feel like that's an actual position a person would do. It, you know, like, oh, you're laying in the field. You're really stretching out. It's like you're making snow angels. So, yeah, that's yeah. true. Uh, that's, that's, that's a good point. Uh, you, could you, you could also catapult your meeples, too, but we won't talk about that. <laughs> That's the thing that happens, too, with expansions. I feel like with all the Carcassonne expansions, we could have just replaced this whole list. Like Yes. And, and then it's this very... expansion, it's a catapult. Yes. It's, yeah, like all the different yeah, things. Uh, next up, we have Mancala meeples from Five Tribes. So this is a game in which your meeples, or not your meeples, all of the meeples, they belong to everybody, are already on the map at the beginning of the game. It's a worker displacement game, or Moncala. So, similar to Keyflower, each color of meeple represents a different type of individual or thing that you will interact with based on the different cards and, and mechanisms that you're working with. So you have like the assassins, the elders, the builders, the merchants, and the viziers. Those are the five tribes. And they're already on the the map at the start of the game. The tiles are kind of laid out randomly, depending on what kind of uh, version of the game you're playing. You place all the meeples out based on the placement rules, and then you will be displacing them to take various actions. So it's a brain-burning game because there are so many possible options in front of you, but it also provides a wealth of uh, expanding complexity because of that. It's one of those Days of Wonder miracles where they take a very complex game, boil it down into three pages of rules, and it's still running strong, with even with just the two, three expansions that it has. So, that's five tribes. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. And one of the, one of the games that has the most amount of meeples on a board, and yeah, that's... <laughs> <ugh. laughs> 
You're picking up and dropping a lot of meeples. Yeah, you do. All right, uh, next up we have meeples turning into houses. We're making these up now, right? That's not real. No, no surprisingly enough, when you play uh, Dwellings of Eldervale, uh, you have your peasants. They're awesome. They're villagers. They go out there, they secure your areas, and they do a lot of fun things depending on the particular faction that you're playing. They have some special abilities. But one of the really odd, unique special abilities, not really special, I mean, everyone has it as far as I, that peasant class is concerned, is that you need to be able to control a particular or have a placement in a particular land. And if you have a worker out there in that particular land, basically what you do is you put a hat on him and he becomes a house. That's yeah, a thing you do. That happens. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and I'm just like, all right, where's the house? Is like, Ugh, you know, you know, Soylent Green? Yeah, it's made of people. Well, so are the houses. <laughs> Just telling you, you're going to send your people out there and eventually they're going to grow into houses. I'm like, that's not a thing. Like, yes, it is. It yes. is totally a thing. It's really cool. Yeah. I'm wondering how they do this mechanic in the Andromeda's Edge, the new one coming out. That's uh -huh. in space. Are you, is like a person turning into a moon? Like, what's going on there? Yeah, it's possible. You know, space, you have Borg and they, they basically turn into machines. So anything's true. possible. True, true, mm -hmm. true. Yeah. All right. Toilets of Eldervale. Good stuff. Uh, next up, yeah. we have Meeple Drafting. Um, which combines with one of our other ones, Dino Meeples, in Draftosaurus. Uh, yeah. Draftos Draftosaurus no. is simple. It's quick. It's easy. You get like a handful of Dino Meeples. You pick out your thing. You draft it. You hand over the handful to somebody else. You place it on your personal board, and you try to maximize your score. It's fun. It's cute. Works well with kids. But maybe you need like something to help them, because putting all those Meeples in their hand is sometimes <laughs> a challenge, if they're small enough. Yeah. It's fun. It's fun. It's colorful. and. Again, color matters because colors are only a single particular dinosaur. And you're basically more or less getting a set collection kind of situation, whether it's one type or multiple types. So drafting is super essential in this game. And it it's nice. When you when you kind of draft those meeples, you can feel the dinosaur shapes in your hand. You're like, oh, I got a big one here. This is great. So, yeah, yeah it's fun. <laughs> it's cute, yeah. But much better than drafting cards, to say the least. Oh my gosh, so much more fun. All right, uh, next up we have Meeple as Supervisor, Kanban EV. Oh uh, no! Vital Lacerda's uh, classic game of building cars, logistics, and supply chain management. Sounds fun, right? <laughs> so much fun. Uh, <laughs> uh, so Kanban EV is a game in which you are managing an assembly line just in time production trying to keep everything moving you're pulling parts in you're building the cars you're grabbing different blueprints you're testing the cars you're going to board meetings and pushing out your plans but the thing that stands out in this game and to the point where when we ask people about their favorite character in a board game mo many of them said sandra the factory manager which is a little meeple with a clipboard that moves mm -hmm. around from the different locations to check your performance and keep everything moving she's uh, mean She's very mean, yes. So if, if you've not performed properly or things have not been completed properly or if just you wanted something and now she's in your way because she takes up a worker placement spot, there's Sandra. If you play the solo version of this, Sandra is even meaner. Although there is a nice version of Sandra that is less mean, but why would you play that way? That's not the point of the game. Um, so the, in this case, the meeple, the sole job of the meeple is to move around and to get in your way and to make you focus on certain things at certain times. It's a fun, creative way to use it. And I love that, especially in the updated version, they gave her like a little clipboard 
it's immediately evident where she is and what she's doing. Yeah, I think what's, again, what's really interesting about Sandra as a meeple is that she is specifically the determining factor as far as the, the, the complexity or difficulty of the game, right? Whether she's, this meeple is going to be really easy on us or very hard on us. And there are two levels of the gameplay. So that's something to take into consideration when you're playing the game is how evil is that meeple going to be? Cause that's going to determine a lot of the challenge of the game. All right. Uh, and last but not least, we have meeples as score trackers. So this comes from Dixit, the <laughs> classic game of what are you talking about on this card? Um, and you use your little meeples, your little bunny things on the score mm -hmm. track. That's, that's all they do, but it's cute. It's very Alice Wonderland kind of look, especially in the original box of Dixit. Basically, the box kind of opens up in the box is the game board kind of situation. And you like open the box, you have these beautiful cards, and then you have meeples. You're like, oh, I love meeples. And they're bunnies! Because again, Alice in Wonderland kind of, you know, motif, so to speak. And then you realize you're not going to use the bunnies at all, except to keep score. Which a lot of meeples do, but these are bunnies. Yeah. And they also don't do anything else whatsoever. There's no other meeples in the game, just the bunnies, and just to keep track on this on the board. So... I don't know. Homage? I guess that's the only reason why they're there, but sure. Meeples as bunnies as score trackers. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a good one. All right, folks, that is all the board game mechanics that had meeples, all of them, 100%. We are 100% complete. Nothing has been missed. So <laughs> move on. Ex except we still have to figure out what a group of meeples are, unless they've already decided that I'm, I'm board game geek. Although, I, I do have a suggestion. A group of meeples is a forest a forest of people i mean they're made a of what yeah a forest of meeples yeah so i don't know that's a I, thing I that's like mine it. i like it, I'm, it. I'm, we're throwing it we're throwing it out to all of you um i'm gonna trademark <laughs> trademark <laughs> that's how uh, that works right <laughs> yeah yeah you just yell trademark really loud well i did that with bankruptcy and that took care of it so yeah, exactly yeah. <laughs> you, just, you just declare it that's it that's all you have to do <laughs> i declare forest bankruptcy. trademark yes all right, everyone, so that's everything until next time. Until then, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you all a seat at the table. Take care, everyone. Bye.